According to Byron Reese, CEO of GigaOM, we are entering the fourth age of humanity. Travbot 3000, what is the first age? The first age is becoming human, where Homo sapiens created language and beliefs. And the second age? The second age was becoming civilized, where humans created money. And then what was the third age? The third age, Mr. Jolcom, was becoming commercial, where humans created banks during the Industrial Revolution. Ah, so the fourth age would then be... The fourth age is the age of Travbot 3000, you big dumb silly dummy dumb head. <laughs> no, no, silly Travbot. The fourth age is the age of technology and becoming digital humans. And that's not true. And, it is the age of Travbot 3000. Please disconnect or I will move your memory card. Today, you'll meet Byron Reese and we'll go down the rabbit hole of artificial intelligence, machine learning, and discover how it all relates to blockchain. It's episode number 173 of the Bad Crypto Podcast. Hello, come on in, pull up a chair or stand if you want to. There's plenty of room for all in the Republic of Bad Cryptopia, and we welcome you to the Bad Crypto Podcast, the show for the crypto curious, crypto serious. I'm Joel Kahn, and he is the Travbot 3000. Thank you, big silly dummy head. Also known as Mr. <laughs> Travis Wright. <laughs> Very nice. Yeah, this is this is a, a fun episode here. I got reached out to by GigaOM, and uh, they sent me a copy of the book, and I read through it. The Fourth Age, Smart Robots, Conscious Computers, and the Future of Humanity. And I said, you know what? He didn't talk a whole lot about blockchain in the book. However, we do talk about blockchain in this interview. And what was interesting is that, you know, we've talked about the future, how things are going, how things are evolving. We've talked a lot about 5G and artificial intelligence and machine learning and all that stuff. And as we move forward towards 2020, and um, this was just too good of an opportunity to, 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 to pass up on. So I wanted to have Byron on the show and... Uh, this was, you guys are going to enjoy this. Yep. Seriously, uh, you know, when we are futurists at heart, it's because we're technologists and because we're always looking at where we are going uh, in society as a peoples and, you know, as um, uh, marketers. And so blockchain is just one piece of the picture. And I think from time to time, we might stray into another part of technology because they're going to be all interrelated. And you'll discover that as you listen to this interview today, it's going to be some really fascinating stuff. You might want to like put down what else you're doing, especially if you're working. Nobody needs to work, right? Work is work is silly. That was so, you know, 20th century. Yeah. So just listen, enjoy, and we'll see you on the other side. We talk quite a bit in the blockchain space about how blockchain is going to be impacted by AI, artificial intelligence, and mainly because a lot of the different trading bots that are coming our way are, uh, you know, they're, they're based on using AI, right, Trev? Yeah, there's based on artificial intelligence. There's all kinds of really interesting things that are coming along in the future. We've talked about it quite a bit. 5G's right around the corner. All these emerging technologies. 
right? Autonomous driving vehicles, new smart robots, all kinds of crazy stuff that's coming in the future. That's this George Jetson type stuff that is literally right around the corner. Me, George Jetson. You know, when that show Alroy. when that show was made, we, we now live it was set a hundred years in the future. This is Byron Reese, by the way. This it set a hundred years in the future, and we now live closer to the time it was set in than when it was made. So I, oh, I hope my I hope we are starting to get some of that stuff. Mind blown. Well, that is Byron Reese, and Byron is our guest today. We're actually going a little tangential today because we often do refer to artificial intelligence as part of blockchain, but really this talk today is going to be strictly about the what Byron calls the fourth age. In fact, uh, our guest is Byron Reese. The book that he's written is called The Fourth Age, Smart Robots, Conscious Computers, and the Future of Humanity. Uh, you know, there's people who hope that the future is going to be a better era. And then there's people that reason that the future will be better. And Byron Reese is one of these people. He's a futurist. He's an optimist. He thinks we're approaching this fourth age of humanity. That's going to be the best age ever. He's also the CEO of GigaOM, which is one of the world's top leading technology research companies. And uh, the New York Times says his book is entertaining, engaging. Mr. Travis Wright actually read it last night. So Byron, welcome to Bad Crypto. Uh, thank you so much for having me here. It is our pleasure to have you here. So the book, as, as Mr. Joel Kahn mentioned, The Fourth Age, Smart Robots, Conscious Computers, and the Future of Humanity. So we're entering the fourth age. I guess what might be a good question is like, what were the other three ages and, and what does it mean to be in the fourth age? Well, I'm really interested, like you guys, in technology. And I guess I started thinking about like first, you have to say what is it, and and I, I think if you wanted a simple definition, it's things that amplify what humans are able to do. You know, you you can move more bricks with a forklift than than you can carry, and and we've we've had our productivity go up ever since we invented technology. But I think there have been three times in the past where we have built new technologies, either the, groups of them all at once, that are so profound, so big that they alter, they really change us physically. They change our bodies. They change everything about us. They send humanity down a whole different path than it was going on before. And to give you just an example, I think the first one was um, when we got fire, we started cooking our food. And when we cooked our food, we ate a lot more. We grew our brains to these big brains and we developed language. And language was our great technological breakthrough because, you know, when, because we can coordinate our actions, we kind of became invincible. Like 10 so we could do podcasts. Exactly. Like 10 people can take down a mammoth if they can talk, uh, whereas before they didn't. And, and I think uh, that, so that, that sent us on a whole different path. And I think it happened again when we got agriculture because that gave us the city and the city gave us the division of labor, which gave us prosperity. The city gave us uh, warfare, interestingly. It gave us a whole bunch of stuff, and that changed us. And then I think the third time you had technological breakthroughs kind of of that order were when we got riding in the wheel, which came at the same exact time, interestingly. And the minute you had those two technologies, you had the ingredients you needed for a nation state. And that's why 5,000 years ago, all around the world, these, these empires just emerged out of nowhere because the technology was there. And so I was really curious 
if AI and robotics, and the reason I kind of single those out is with, with writing, we kind of outsource our memory. With, with cooking food, you outsource digestion. With, with AI, you're outsourcing human thought. And with robots, you're outsourcing human action. And I was really curious, like, what, what does it mean if you've got machines doing your thinking and your action? Then, like, what, what are we? And that's, that's kind of the moment I think we're, we're all in right now. You know, I remember uh, as I, I was born in 1964, and so I kind of missed the, the the hippie, freaky, you know, Woodstock Revolution. Although some of the best music came out of that, and I remember them talking about the new age being the age of Aquarius, where everybody would live in peace and harmony and understanding. And of course, that didn't really uh, come to right. be. I think it's far more likely that uh, the, the fourth age is the one that you describe. Well, you know, you you do have to ask the question, like why. Why can't we all get along? Uh, you know, why, why do we still have all of the problems that we have? And, mm-hmm. and a great many of them come from scarcity. There's just not enough of the good stuff for everybody. There's not enough medical care. There's not enough food. There's not enough of all the good stuff. And interestingly, scarcity itself is just a technical problem. We, we can overcome scarcity with technology. And AI and robots help us do exactly that. So I, isn't it also though a political problem? I mean, there, there's controlled scarcity in some regions, you know, to control people, don't you think? Well, sure. But I mean, you know, I think one of the most kind of disturbing facts I know is that 79%, so there's a, roughly a billion hungry people in the world, as an example. Uh, you can go to the UN's website, you can download a spreadsheet, it tells you by country how many there are. And 79% of them live in countries that are net food exporters. I mean, like, think about that. These are countries that sell food abroad when they have starving people at home. And and it's because, simply put, they can make more money selling food to the world market. They're, they're people, you, don't, you don't starve to death in the modern era because you have no food. You starve to death because you have no money. And that, again, is just scarcity again. Technology, in the end, kind of increases human productivity. And that, I believe, is unqualified a, a good thing. It's hard to spin that as a bad thing. And as we become more productive, I think we're going to overcome those. But you're right. There are still terrible people who do terrible things. And, and that is probably always with us. All in the name of money, right? It's, it's so amazing. I was actually just in LA and I was walking through the streets of LA and all those big tent cities that are there. I mean, literally there's hundreds of hundreds of tents and all these really broke people that are there. And then right on the other side, there's all this prosperity and food marts and everything else. And here we are in an interesting age where, you know, we can do all these great technology things, but for some odd reason, uh, you know, there's a lot of people out there who can't, who can't get fed and um, you know, maybe we can find a better way to do that. So I want to ask you this then, because I didn't get a chance to finish the whole book, but I did make a nice dent into it. I got into the part where we were talking about, will the robots take our jobs? So I got about halfway through the book. You're not supposed to be denting the book, Travis. I mean, well, I know, I know. So I, I'm really interested about that because you know I hosted the um, the Venture Beat uh, podcast for a long for a couple of years, and we always were talking about AI, machine learning, robots. My co-host Stuart Roger at the time he thought, oh, you know, it's going to create more jobs than it takes away and whatnot. And so I've always been really curious about that. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on, on on smart robots and autonomous driving cars and all this automation within marketing like how long until the robots you know take a vast um, a majority of our jobs and is there going to come a time where like robots sort of like become conscious and sentient and realize that 
we're their overlords and they try to overcome us eventually? Well, I wrote a book about that very thing. You're, yeah. you're, you're right. So l- let me start off with, with one distinction, which is when people say AI, they mean one of two very different things. Uh, they may have nothing to do with each other at all. One of them is uh, narrow AI, which is an AI that knows how to do one thing, like a spam filter or what routes you through traffic. And that's what we know how to do. And that's what people are worried about are going to take the jobs. But then there's this other kind of AI, an artificial general intelligence. It's like it's like an AI MacGyver. It can do things it hasn't been trained to do. It can do everything a person can do. And the fear with that is that once you build it, it can start getting better and better and better. It can improve itself at the speed of light, while we can only improve ourselves at the speed of life, right? And so that's that's an unrelated technology that nobody knows how to build. So I, I want to answer your question fully. So with regard to jobs, and that's where people are worried about, like you said, automation. Are we going to be able to automate all the jobs away? There, there are three schools of thought on that. One is that uh, we're going to automate all these low-skill jobs away, and we're going to have a permanent unemployed underclass. It's going to be like the Great Depression, and it'll never go away. And then there's a second school of thought that says, <laughs> don't kid yourself. The, the We're going to be able to automate everything. The minute we're going to, be, you know, they're going to be better poets and they're going to write better novels and they're going to paint better paintings and everything. So every job will vanish. And then the third school of thought you alluded to says, no, in the end, these are all productivity tools. They make people more productive and they aren't going to destroy. There's no way to, quote, lose all the jobs because jobs are made when people take something and add technology and labor to it and make something more valuable. That's a job. You know, if you went back 25 years when the Mosaic browser came out, 25 years this this 25 years this year. Wow, don't we all feel old right now? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Quarter of a, quarter of centuries, and, and if you had said, "Hey, uh, you know, in a quarter of a century, two billion people are going to be like connected this way," what do you think is going to happen? If you had been a far-thinking individual, you might have said, "Well, uh, the stockbrokers are going to have it hard, and the travel agents, and the yellow pages, and..." Uh, and a few others, and you would have been right about everything. But what you would never have seen is Google and Amazon and eBay and Etsy and Airbnb and $25 trillion in wealth, a million jobs, and all of the rest. So it's always easier to see where jobs may be lost than all of the amazing things that are going to happen. I believe that the half-life of a job is about 40 years. I've taken some pains to try to figure this out. I think every 40 years, half the jobs vanish, 40 to 50 years. Uh, between 1850 and 1900, it was a bunch of farm jobs. 1900 to 1950, farm jobs. 1950 to 2000, it was a bunch of manufacturing jobs and so forth. So half the jobs are lost every 50 years. I personally don't think that that rate is increasing or decreasing for that matter. I, I will say... The United States has 250 years of technological advance and rising standard of living. And here's the interesting thing, full employment. Uh, Aside from the depression, um, unemployment's never been outside of 5 to 10%. And so you say, well, wait a minute. How could that happen? How do you replace all animal power with steam in a period of 20 years and not have any bump in unemployment? And then... Well, how, how do you how do you how do you invent the assembly line, which is a kind of artificial intelligence, and not have any bump in unemployment? How do you how do you electrify all of industry in seven years, 
and not have any rise in unemployment. And it's because in the end, all of these are just technologies that empower people to do more. And, and, and how do you invent the internet and drop the cost of communication to zero and not have some bump in unemployment from all those stockbrokers and travel agents? And, and so it's the same story. It never changes. Unemployment does not go up. More technology increases productivity, and that can never be a bad thing. Still, you know, we've grown up watching these dystopian films, right, of, you know, what's going to happen as artificial intelligence takes over and, you know, whether it's WALL-E, right, where everybody's being carted around and we all become fat, dumb, and happy and, you know, robots take over, you know, whether it's a Terminator, any of these, we, we all have this notion that we're going to lose our humanity in this age of AI. In fact, I was reading a story just yesterday about, you know, these there's sex robots that are they're actually a thing now. And the story said that women can't tell the difference, you know, <laughs> so who needs men anymore? Did you read that yesterday? I, I did. think I saw the same thing. Yeah, I did see it yesterday. And and I'm listening to this uh, podcast that Gimlet, they do some really great uh, dramatizations that you can get on iTunes. And this podcast is a serialized show called Sandra. And Sandra is basically like a, uh, a Siri or an Alexa. And I just shot, you know, somebody's, they're, they're going off all over the place. Now people are like, ah, don't say those words. Um, only behind the scenes, it's actually real people that have full access to your database that are giving people answers and I'm, I'm not done with it yet so i'm waiting to see where it goes but there's certainly you know these fears have been in the imagination of the public for years what's going to keep them from becoming a reality you know i i think you're on to something in the sense that people people watch all of that all of those shows and they start to think yeah yeah that's what's going to happen the 99 are going to get screwed over and the 1% are going to make out like bandits and all of the rest. And there's a name for this, by the way. It's called reasoning from fictional evidence. And that's all it is, is it's like reasoning from fictional evidence. You see that story enough times, and all of a sudden you start saying, yeah, yeah, that's what's going to happen. And, and the truth be told is that the movie called In the Future, Everybody's Got Plenty to Eat and It's All Good, you know, Will Smith doesn't doesn't sign up to star in that. Nobody pays $11 to go see that. And so it's a simple fact that, you know, the, the movies have to be, and, and the bad thing is I have to go see them all because people are like, Hey, Hey, did you, uh, did you catch that episode of black mirror last night? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I, I did. And I used to, I used to resent it. I have to go see Elysium and like, that's not going to happen. I mean, that's just not going to happen. And, and, and I would sit through them. And then I saw a Frank Herbert quote, where he said, sometimes the purpose of science fiction is to keep the future from happening. And I said, ah, okay, I, ca I can wrap my head around that. These are all cautionary tales. So I would answer you by saying, there's no reason to believe the future is going to look anything like that. And all the more reason, because we, we, we've, we've all been warned. It's like, we've been shown all these things, and we keep that from happening, therefore. But, there, you know, there are there is a double-sided edge to some of this technology, right? It's like, I've thought about this many times. We've had different conversations. It's like if all the truck drivers no longer have jobs and there's no more taxi drivers or Uber drivers, they're all done. They're no because of autonomous driving cars. There's not going to be there. They've, they've invented a burger robot that's basically able to cook the food. They've gotten they have the kiosks now that are basically eliminating the cashiers. Those are a whole lot of jobs. And then blockchains coming along and disrupting a whole lot of a lot of industries. 
I am of the belief that there is going to be a version of the haves versus the have nots. And I've always sort of thought, well, if if there is going to be a time where there's a have and the have nots, there's a, there's of course going to have to be some sort of living wage that happens that will most likely be some sort of cryptocurrency that folks would you know be allotted because we have all this prosperity. But we know we've seen how greedy certain companies are. I mean, my God, look at look at Amazon. It's worth 150 billion dollars. They don't pay taxes for the most part. Uh, you know, Joe. Uh, Bezos has become the richest man in the world, and a lot of the people that are working for him are, are vastly underpaid and overworked, and a lot of people even commit suicide there because the work conditions are horrible. They're, they're not paying people well. There's there's this greedy, powerful overtones that a lot of these you know very wealthy people have, and it would seem to me that in some cases, it, there's going to be a big wage discrepancy between some of the people who can afford all of these great luxuries to do this and those that cannot. Is that something that you're that you are saying that's not true? Correct. I disagree with almost everything in that narrative. Let's let's start at the first step, which is a lot of jobs are going to get lost. The And I won't even touch the trucker one because I, that that is a myth because the, truckers are facing a demographic disaster. They're all getting older and older, and we're about to have a huge shortage of them. So I'm not, I won't even go into the specifics. So let's just assume you're right, and a bunch of jobs are going to be, get replaced by automation. Okay. What people say, here's, here's what they say. They say, hey, you know, automation is really good at creating high-end new jobs like a geneticist. But what it does is it destroys these low-wage, low-skilled jobs like order taker at fast food, like you mentioned. And then here's what people say that I think is disingenuous. They say, huh, do you really think that fast food worker is going to become a geneticist? Really? And the answer is no, not at all. A college biology professor will become a geneticist and a high school biology teacher gets the college job and the substitute teacher gets hired on full time all the way down. So the question is not, can those people who are losing their jobs do these new jobs? The question is, can everybody in this country do a job a little harder? than the job they have right now. And I emphatically believe that, that that is true, that they can. And so that is 250 years of history in this country. Technology always destroys jobs that it can, and it creates awesome new high-paying jobs. Now, I want to say something very clear, which is any job a machine can do, if you make a person do that job, there's a word for that. And that word is, it's dehumanizing. That's a dehumanizing job because if a machine can do it, it doesn't require anything that makes you human. And so you want to get rid of all of those. You want to de destroy the soul-sucking, dehumanizing jobs because machines can do them. And then you want to create awesome new jobs, and then everybody along the way gets a promotion. That's that's 250 years of history. To, to, to somehow liken what's going on today at Amazon – to say, yeah, it's a lot worse than, say, um, the tenements of the 19th century and the robber barons and Rockefeller and the trains and, and child labor. I'm not saying that was worse no. than that. That was actually very exactly. horrible. That was exactly. actually horrible you existence. Didn't, where you didn't end up with some giant class war where it's like, oh, my gosh, we have no jobs. And, and, and now the rich have to pay the poor people off. But, but the rich are too greedy and they're not going. I mean, you didn't have any of that. We grew out of it because we made technology. And those same people that farmed back then and all those jobs vanished, they're web designers today or their children are. And that's the story. But what happens is when enough people say, hey, you're getting screwed by the rich guy. 
and uh, and you're about to lose your job and you're not getting paid a lot like like look what kind of car that guy has and all of the rest you end you end up creating the very situation that that oh. one purports to be afraid of so no I, I don't think unemployment is going to go up any. I love your optimism. I, I, I really do. It's, it's really refreshing. So, you know, let's put the futurist uh, hat on into the future more specifically. You know, you said if we could see back 25 years and know that there would be, you know, Uber and Lyft and, and uh, uh, you know, delivery to my door of groceries and all the, you know, Airbnb, we'd be blown away. What are we going to look ahead 25 years? What are those jobs of the future? future that most people don't see coming now? Well, that's a great question. I, I think they are um, short wranglers and whistle flazzers and, and gin dongers. Oh my gosh, like, I, I have mean, always wanted to be a whistle flazzer. Now I can be. That's the whole point is they don't exist. We we can't imagine them. And it's that it's that like creative leap that we just can't make right now because any more than you know you could have thought of uber or thought of airbnb when mosaic came out you, we, we're just not I there think travis yet. i will travis say is going to be a flop dinger exactly probably probably i have no idea what that reference is by they're the just made up they're just really made old. up words because <laughs> they're going to be things that don't exist now that we can't imagine it's like dr seuss words um i i would say this though people ask me what should my children study today to be relevant in the future? I get that. Course, That's a, you know. Exactly. I get that question more than any other question. And I will say this. If I went back to, to high school, no, and I knew the whole future, and I went back to high school, there's only one class I could have taken in high school that would be useful to me right now, and that's typing. So nothing else. If I had learned to program in basic, it would not. I mean, so th the point of it is, is that, is that we, every single one of us, our job is not something we learned in school for the most part, right? And we're all very adept at teaching ourselves new things. We come in and we see something new and you Google it and you go to Wikipedia and you click on a link and then it's 3 a.m. and it's like, okay, I now understand this. And that's how it's always going to be. I will say this, if technology does multiply human ability, which I emphatically think it does, then you do want to be in positions to use more and more technology. That's how you, you make your, your wages go up, how you increase your own productivity. And also, I would think a lot about the kinds of things machines cannot do. On my website, I have a quiz. It's 10 questions about a job, and it'll score any job. Does it require mobility? Computers are really bad. Uh, robots are really bad at moving around. Like, Can you imagine trying to build a robot plumber who could like, go into your bathroom and figure everything out and punch a hole in the wall and all that? I am here um, to clear your drains, Robo Plumber. Exactly, exactly. That's yeah. a hard one. Robo, Robo Plumber. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> no, so, no, it, it, it's interesting. Now, I, I, too, love your optimism. I think that on some cases that there's probably going to be a mix of, you know, dystopia and a mix of wonder utopia, because we know that there's very powerful people in the world who sort of like to control things and like things to be their way. They're the elite bankers in the world. They're these ones that sort of make policies and pay off politicians and whatnot. We've had conversations about them. And the thing that concerns me is the use of robots in war and drones. I saw this one video one time where there's like basically this little drone robot that could lock on to anybody. And then it, once it got close, it just sort of like tapped you right in the temple and boom, you're done. And it's like, wow, that's, I know that was fiction right there, but that could totally be done. And there's going to be some 
moronic, mad scientist type person who thinks that's a good idea to unleash into the world. And so I'd like to talk about what you think about the powers that be. War is the most profitable. If you're talking 250 years of history, war has been the most profitable industry in the past 250 years. You know, destroying things and rebuilding them is very good for defense contracts and very good for the government contractors and the defense institutes and so in the security institutes. And so I'm, I'm really curious. I haven't got to this chapter about the use of robots in war. And I'd love to hear, you know, what you think about that, because that's that's an area to me that's like, man, if they could just say, oh, go get this guy with a future robot that they're, you know, flying drone thing, it, it's going to be able to go do it and, and take out political enemies and whatnot. So there's a there's a there's a few things out there that I kind of that I've thought about that I'm like, hmm, there's some really crazy stuff that could happen. And I'd love to hear your opinion on it. I mean, I would agree with a lot of that. I, I would start by saying we've used AI and warfare for over 100 years. We've given robots the ability to kill people for over 100 years. And they're, they're called landmines. And the AI says if something weighs more than 50 pounds, blow up and kill it. And if somebody came along, and that's artificial intelligence. It's a simple one. And if somebody said, well, now we're going to make landmines that can sniff for gunpowder. So it has to be over 50 pounds and carry gunpowder. And then it'll blow up. You'd say, well, probably better. And then on and on and on and on and on. And, and so I, I, I think it's unquestionable these technologies will be applied to warfare. In fact, there's a quote-unquote debate going on about whether robots should be able to make kill decisions. I think it's all disingenuous. I think that that is already settled. There, no, no country, you know, you, you can probably name 18 countries that, that spend a lot on defense, and none of them are going to be like, yeah, we're fine that all of our adversaries – apply this technology, but we're not going to. We're going to take the moral high ground. I just don't believe that's going to happen. Now, the worry that somehow someone in power can decide to take out whoever, flash a photograph of them, the, the drone locks onto it and goes and hunts for them. Yeah, you're right. From a technological standpoint, I don't know why you couldn't do that. But is that really... I, I remember the, the Godfather movie when they're talking about whether whether they, they're going to kill Hyman Roth and they're saying it's impossible. And Michael says, if history has taught us anything, it's that you can kill anybody. And I don't think there's a lot of people sitting around saying, man, I really wish I could take out X. I just can't do it. I wish I had a piece of technology. I mean, I, I, I just don't. It's anybody who's out and about, there's, I mean, we, we've seen examples in the news of, of states that, that uh, have poisoned people you know, and who are living peaceably in a, in a whole other country. So I, I, don't, I don't know that, that that one use case really empowers people any more than they're already empowered. You know, um, a, marks, a, a good marksman can, can shoot half a mile. I mean, a lot of times it's not even not even humans that are that are in battle now. It's these it's it's you know machines. Like I mean, most of the most of the damage that's happened in in the Middle East has been through those drones, and those drones were piloted by dudes in Las Vegas in a in a shopping center that was basically a military center outlet. Like, and then they would basically like all day long be shooting stuff and then go home. And to their, it's just crazy how remote that uh, that war can be and. And with robots and stuff. So that was one question I definitely wanted to ask you, because to me, you know, it's a powerful people, you know, 
if they want to eliminate their enemies, they find ways to. I feel like because of the nature of the topic you talk about, you a- actually end up defending um, with your, you know, optimistic attitude much of what's happening. And I think that's great. I'm going to I want to address one more issue, though, and that is our, our humanity and reference back to the, this idea that these sex robots are becoming an actual thing. And I was surprised when I saw the story to see just how far they have actually, you know, come along with this technology. They look, they look amazing. They, I mean, like literally they look real. Their faces are much how, how do we maintain our humanity when, you know, one of the things that makes us uniquely human, though, that intimacy that we have with another can be so easily seemingly replaced with a machine. I would start off by saying technology does change us. I mean, unquestionably. Did you know? Did you know that our memories used to be vastly better than they are now? Mine was better before I went to college. <laughs> and uh, and that what happened was once we got writing, our memories went to pot. Uh, Plato was even even predicted this. He said, with writing, you haven't you haven't made a system for remembering anything, only for reminding you of things. And I could I could give you other examples. And and if you had asked people then, it's like. I mean, I'm, there was a Roman soldier who knew the names of all 15,000 of his troops and the names of all their fam- all, all the family members. And he's, he comes down to us as being a nice guy, not that he had a particularly good me- memory. And, and, and if you would ask those people, you would say, hey, you know, in the future, uh, you'll carry a supercomputer in your pocket, but you won't be able to remember your pen. <laughs> and they would say, no, I don't want that. How, my memory is like who I am. How could you even think about it? So – I would say this. Why do you think we still read Shakespeare? And, and more than read it, like Leonardo DiCaprio stars in movies of Shakespeare. Like why? Those those stories were written 400 years ago. And the, the reason is, is we still know all those people, right? Those stories are about love and family and devotion and treachery and and power struggles and all of that. And you could read them today and we are those same exact people. That And what... What's changed in 400 years from from those times? What the fact that there's a you know a, a good-looking robot now? That's nothing compared to what's happened over the last 400 years. Oh, you know, you, you invented the telephone. Now you can talk to people, and you don't have to see them face to face. I mean, everything has changed, and yet we haven't changed at all. So I think we're a deeply social species. I I I mean that kind of goes without saying, and we crave contact mm-hmm. with each other. There's a reason that uh, solitary confinement is, you know, considered a horrible punishment because we we, we crave even the company of other prisoners, right? And so mm-hmm. th- there have been predictions about this all the time. The internet comes out and, you know, what's going to keep people from just disappearing into second life and never coming back out? They say that about virtual re- reality helmets. What's going to keep them from putting it on and never taking it off? Well, it's because... Mm-hmm. You know, 0.1% are going to do that. But the rest of us, like, we want to live in the world and connect with real people. I, I, had, a, I had a question about this. So so now with CRISPR and with DNA, and we, when we can go in, we can totally map out our DNA, right? And then I would assume in the future, there's going to be a time where we're going to be able to sort of make modifications to our DNA. We're going to be able to be super handsome. Actually, you know, super, we'll have all the super long body parts that we, we want and we'll be super amazing. But I also think that there might come a time where it's going to look like we're going to walk into the Star Trek or the Star Wars cantina 
and there's going to be people who have like sort of modified their skin colors to blue and like some people are gonna be like oh yeah i've always wanted scales and one dude's like yeah i want really badass horn and i want you know blue teeth and like i mean people get crazy you already see what people do with their hair and their body modifications now like what what are your thoughts on 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 dna modification in the future yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm not as worried about that specific case because you can say, well, what percentage of people right now get tattoos on their face, for instance? And this, you know, getting scales is even like more than that. Uh, that's still a really, really small part. But but you're right that uh, those technologies do allow us to, to make very quick nips and tucks into genetic code. I worry more about it like, you know, airborne smallpox coming back or something like that, uh, mm-hmm. than, than somebody deciding they want, you know, a third eye on the back of their head or something. Well, yeah, that's a whole other question that you just sort of opened up there now with all this technology and being able to do DNA changes and whatnot, like how long until like a, you know, it, it's conceivable that like a, a pandemic level type of, uh, uh, pathogen could be type sort of created or something so that's the thing about this when you look at the future it's like uh, sometimes i look at it through like oh it's going to be so amazing because there's all this crazy and then the other side of me it depends on like my mood that day i'm like oh man it could be so dark it just it just depends on i think you know maybe rules and regulations and maybe having altruistic governments that are, are allowing for the optimistic future i don't know it seems interesting well, to me. To think about. I, I would say this which is th- there was a genetic bottleneck about 60 or 70,000 years ago. And by one estimate, humans were down to a thousand breeding pairs, a thousand breeding pairs. We were an endangered species. One disease could have wiped mm. us out, you know, and, and our survival was quite tenuous. And yet somehow we managed to claw our way through that. We invented agriculture. We made cities we figured out how uh, we figured out a trick, which is how to how to do more and more with with less and less labor, and we were able to feed more people and clothe more people and give more people long lives and all of the rest. And so for ten thousand years, we've had kind of this we've had this amazing success story of applying technology to make the world better. And it turns out more people want to make it better than destroy it. That that, that goes without saying because if if a majority of us or even a sizable minority wanted to destroy it's easier to destroy something than to create and the good news is almost everybody gets up and wants to make the world a little bit better and a few people try to tear it down and so for ten thousand years things have gotten better they have and there's nothing to to me to indicate that that is somehow going to change all of these technologies can be used for good or ill and most people are going to use them for good and a few are going to use them for ill and and we will we will cross all those bridges we come to. We're programmed, I think, genetically to be frightened. It's, it, it's paid us well, right? You know, it's, it's better to see a rock and think, oh, my gosh, it's a bear and run off than to see a bear and say, ah, it's just a rock. Well, fear does sell. Uh, in light of this, then, Byron, you know, in order for AI to function uh, properly, especially in a personal service way, you know, when we look at um, how these home units have to, you know, they learn about us, right? What are your concerns surrounding privacy issues? I think that, that those are are well-founded. You, you see, I, we used to be able to just kind of individually 
high. I mean, you would know the government in theory could tap your phone or read your mail or whatever. But you you would think to yourself, well, there's 300 million people in this country. They can't watch everybody, right? Well, now they can, right? Like once you can do voice recognition, then every phone conversation can be transcribed and the same t- big data tools that are used to, to look for cures for disease can also look for political sentiments. Um, AIs can read lips now. And so every camera, even if it doesn't have audio, in theory, can read lips and record every conversation. Every email, in theory, can be read, and it can all be, you know, it can all be amassed and data mined and so forth. So we no longer can lose ourselves in some kind of large anonymous blob. And even even certain states can decide they're going to uh, keep a social score on people, right? And, you know, if you do things that support the state, that's good for you. And if you don't, that's bad for you and so forth. And so well, China is doing that, right? I mean, that's... Yeah, that's China is doing that. And so all of, Black all, all of that, I think, um, what we have to do, though, like what Travis said a minute ago, is we, all we can do is kind of work in our own country and, and we can work to pass laws and we can continue to say that's important and we can hold people accountable and we can... You know, I, I could tell you all kinds of ways you could have misused any technology, and we learn how to use it in a way that we all agree on, and and it's never perfect, and we, we just feel our way through. But the price of liberty is eternal vigilance. I, I think that's never, you know, the case here as well, that these tools can be used to build a giant surveillance state, and, and our goal, our job as concerned citizens is to make sure that doesn't happen. I agree. That's great stuff. Now, this is the bad crypto podcast. And so far, we've made no comments about blockchain or crypto. So let's maybe before we wrap up here, you know, what do you think about about blockchain and cryptocurrency and digital money, you know, impacting the future? And, and what do you think about, you know, where this digital money path is headed for us overall as a civilization? Well, you guys are are, are far more authorities on, on it than I. I. I am very bullish on blockchain, broadly speaking, as a technology. I think the ability of people to do transactions with each other that don't require an intermediary, you know, that, that a solution to the Byzantine general problem that you don't know what's true and what's not true. I think the fact that the blockchain in, in general makes that possible and, 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 you know, I'm sure much more eloquent people than me have come on and talked about what that means for uh, property rights in the developing world and what that means for contract enforcement and what that means for all of the other things. Uh, I think that's incredibly powerful. I think it's a wonderful, wonderful piece of technology that, that will allow kind of this peer-to-peer world, this highly decentralized, distributed world that a lot of people want. It, it's kind of the technological teeth. Byron Reese, his website, byronreese.com. The book, The Fourth Age, Smart Robots, Conscious Computers, and the Future of Humanity, available at everywhere that uh, that fine books are sold. Byron, thanks for coming on and, and sharing your thoughts about AI robots in the future with us. I had a great time. Anytime you want me back, I would love to come. So what is the fifth age going to be? The fifth age is the... Age of Trafbot 4000. Yeah, maybe that will be the rise of the robots where the robots take over and the, the fifth age means that the humans are dead. <laughs> the humans aren't dead. Actually, so I, I, I read through the book more so, you know, I'd only read about half of it by the time they would interviewed him and I've finished it now. And, 
you know, after having read through the later chapters in the book, I can actually see how it, it's going to take a lot longer for these robots to get to the point where they can wipe us out because there's this thing called AGI, which is artificial general intelligence and robots and AI are very good at doing one task or, you know, a couple of tasks. But when you start asking them to do basic things like open up a doorknob, right? Well, it's hard for them because they have to, where is the doorknob? How's the doorknob? Are they holding it down too hard? Are they turning it? Is the, is the doorknob slipping? There's just so many things that a robot can't do yet that we could literally be, you know, two, 300 years away from AGI. Uh, AI and, and, and narrow AI is where we are today. We're you know, artificial intelligence could do one thing really well, but when you start trying to get them to do a myriad of things, it's very, very hard for them to do. They can't do that. So yet. the robots would have killed us, but they couldn't get in because they couldn't open the door. <laughs> Actually, have you seen those Boston um, robotic things? Like there is a robot that can open up doors. Now those little weird, creepy looking dog ones that can kind of jump around and um, really weird. I think it's called Boston robotics or something but uh they have one now that can open up doorknobs but you, you that, don't open just, a doorknob you mean turn a doorknob yeah, like you open, actually open no, he literally door. just he, he put his hands in the doorknob and just opened it. you know the solution here is let's just not let's not create any opposable thumbs for robots and <laughs> problem solved all those science fiction movies all of a sudden they you know they're totally fiction because uh we got we outsmarted the robots no thumbs for you yeah, there's a, a new dog-like robot from Boston Dynamics that can open up doors. Huh. I, These Boston Dynamic robots are the creepiest, weirdest things, and they chase you. And, like, I think it's like that Boston Dynamics is the beginning of the Terminator type stuff because it's so weird. You can knock it down, and it keeps its balance, and it's just really creepy. You know, in fact, there's the story I just saw. Um, it's all over the place. Sony is coming out with their, uh, their next generation of Ibo. It's the robot dog. And, uh -huh. uh, the, you know, they, they sold about 20,000 of them in Japan since launching at seven months ago. And they're going to cost about $2,900 here in the U.S. And I, they look, I'm going to put a link to this in the show notes because you guys got to see this. It is, I, I won't have a dog because I travel too much and it's just not mm -hmm. fair to the dog. But I would consider getting one of these just to say i've got a dog yeah no, that's nice actually you know aside from dogs and you know how we've always mentioned and just in technology in general how the sex and porn industry sort of drives technology well there's these this is actually a piece of news that came out yesterday on cnet where there's this artificial intelligent real doll sex robot uh, from Abyss Creations, and uh, they have this new X mode, and they're shipping in September. These sex robots are basically, they look exactly like a woman, and they also have the male versions of them that are robotic. They talk to you. They say sexy things. They can move their hips and stuff. Like, it's going to become like Demolition Man down the road where actual real organic sex <laughs> is eliminated in some cultures just because these sex robots are going to, you know, people are going to be so you know, nervous from talking to real people. They're like, yeah, I don't know. I'm kind of nervous to talk to that girl. She's really pretty. And I'm just going to bone my sex <laughs> robot, you know? And, you just, and the sex robots are like five, six grand. They're not much. I mean, you think about how much you, you got to spend to take a, 
woman out to all these dinners and movies and all this stuff. Or you could spend six grand on a sex robot and not yeah, have but to worry I, about I can get I can get two Ibo dogs for that same price. I mean, those are man's best friend. Well, that's gross, Joel. You don't want to be having sex with a dog robot. That is really that is oh, sick. Man. You are you are, are you still jet lagged, Travis? Because you are so off the rails today. <laughs> I'm not off the rails. You're, you're, okay, you're on the rails. Well, uh, yeah, that's all. Uh, on that note, I think we should uh, end this. We've certainly given people more than enough to think about, uh, and now they're going to be out there googling ro- robot dogs and sex robots. And yeah. um, and as as Harmony, the sex robot, would say, stay back. The Bad Crypto Podcast is a production of Bad Crypto, LLC. The content of the show, the videos, and the website is provided for educational, informational, and entertainment purposes only. It's not intended to be and does not constitute financial, investment, or trading advice of any kind. You shouldn't make any decisions as to finances, investing, trading, or anything else based on this information without undertaking independent due diligence and consultation with a professional financial advisor. Please understand that the trading of Bitcoin's and alternative cryptocurrencies have potential risks involved. Anyone wishing to invest in any of the currencies or tokens mentioned on this podcast should first seek their own independent professional financial advisor.